everybody to Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS or on the podcast platform of your choice. My name is Matt Baker. As always, joining you with my friends in soccer, Phil Grooms and Santiago Beltran. This is a different Flyover Footy, though, because it's the first of the offseason. We have officially arrived to our first offseason after our inaugural year. And we're going to use this episode to look back. Before we kind of move ahead, before we look to the next calendar of events this offseason, we're going to talk about the full season we just had. And in an homage to our Coach of the Year candidate, Bradley Carnell, we're going to take a look at this season in blocks of games. It's not going to be the six blocks like Bradley Carnell and Lutz looked at the season this past year, but we got some fun themes to really dive into. But before we all get into that, Phil, Santi, how are you guys? And Phil, uh, how was your week? Uh, good, good. Uh, you know, it's it's weird. I, I always go on a camping trip this this weekend, and usually, um, if St. Louis FC did well, I would be missing something or or not able to make it. So, um, you know, uh, good and bad in in that regard. But it, it, I'm looking forward to talking about the season today for sure, and looking back on everything. I'm ready. I'm actually ready now that I've accepted what's happened. A few days of uh, of just letting things be before we have to before we get a chance to look at it. Santi, how about you? Hey, no, it's been a it's been a good week. It's weird to to have a week when you are not thinking about a game. I feel like uh, it's been a long time since um, the last time. And yeah, there were a couple of breaks, League Cup, and then the international break uh, in October. But uh, it's just weird to not have a game to look forward to. But uh, but hey, no, ready to talk about the season. Uh, just having a flashback when you talk about blocks of games. But but hey, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm okay. You were the one, and nobody probably knows this, but you were the one who asked at one point this year, Bradley Carnell, in the press room <laughs> about the blocks of games. And he had the most, I don't know, I felt like it was the most absurd answer possible, tongue-in-cheek, clearly messing with you type of a thing, <laughs> saying, who, who said we talk about blocks? And you mentioned, oh, I think you said five game blocks. And he's like, oh, no, it's six games. <laughs> I, I don't think I even said a number or uh, no, I, I think I said six. Um, he, he, he like corrected yeah. you but, but while being tongue in cheek about there being the existence yeah. of blocks of games. Yeah, yeah. It was it was awesome, I felt. And I think um, this this is an appropriate way to look at this, because if you think about this past season, there were clear themes that I saw develop in stretches of games. And so we're going to go block by block of these. We're not going to go into every single nuance and detail about every game. But let's set the stage with what I view as how this season kind of ended up. You started with the obvious five game winning streak, the history making first team, first expansion team to win five games in a row, that kind of thing. You had some struggles after that, the shutouts to Minnesota and Seattle. The the struggles coincided with the U.S. Open Cup, fixture congestions, and the loss of Klaus. You had a third block that I saw that had another winning streak develop. You had another block after that with some weird FC Dallas weather issues that led into losing Leuven for a period of time. And then you had another block right before League's Cup that started with the San Jose Earthquakes game that kind of showed us a new lineup, a new version of a lineup. It had the ascension of AZ Jackson, Sam Adeneron, Akil, White, Akil Watts, and Josh Yarrow. Then you had everything kind of stop with League's Cup. League's Cup had this big break because we were bounced. Back at it with a, a very kind of bizarre return. It was a back and forth. The first time we had a win-loss, win-loss type scenario this year and kind of the only time. And then after that, it was streaks. It was draws, wins, losses. You had uh, Klaus and Leuven had returned and 
you kind of end it in this obviously downtrodden way, but looking at it in that way, holistically, it's just kind of fun. So guys, let's start with this first five game winning streak. Obviously that's where a lot of the core memories from this season are, were made and began and, and come from. You have the Austin game where we came from behind to win first game on the road. Nobody expected us to, you had the Charlotte game where kind of the same thing happened. We didn't get the chance to score first in our own, in our own stadium. Uh, there was the own goal that Jake Nerwinski said that he still wants to take credit for, <laughs> but you had some dominating performances. So what are some things you guys remember about that first five games? Phil, do you want to go first? Yeah. I, first of all, I want to thank you for breaking these into uh, these little chapters, if you will, because I do think it really helps me. You know, I always try to make our shows a certain uh, certain way of thinking about it. And it really helps me uh, think about the season in a simple way. And, yeah, I've been listening back to the voices because uh, like we keep really busy. There's only a certain amount of information I have time for intaking for uh, shows. And so I don't have time for City Voice. I've been listening to them and just hearing the guys, every single one of them mentioned that Austin game as being like the, one of the most memorable games of the entire season. Not just like that it was the first, but the, you know, the fact that the Austin game seemed to signal to everyone that the system works, uh, that they can keep up, you know, especially someone like Hebert who hadn't played on that level and was coming from City 2. Um, and had clearly not been believed in most of his life um, and career um, as a player being like, I can handle this. I can do this. Um, so listening to players talk about Austin and it was the same for like for me, kind of in that I was like, boy, that was a really fun, obvious, good win. And we can trust our team to have a win like this sometimes. Right. I wasn't sold, but the five game winning streak by the I would say by the third or fourth game. At that point, we were like, like, prove us wrong at this point. You know, like we're starting to believe this. But I don't know how you felt, Santiago. No, it, it felt great. It felt great. That first win in, in Austin that um, was unexpected to, to a lot of people. And then the team uh, winning um, multiple games and uh, coming from behind against both Charlotte and Portland Timbers, also against Austin. And... Um, just thinking about players from these five games, uh, to me, it was like the, the welcoming to the league for uh, Edward Leuven and, and Joao yes. Klaus, no. two players that uh, maybe when when the team was uh, assembled and the, the roster was ready, a lot of people didn't know uh, who these guys were and, and uh, they proved the league that that they belong and that they could uh, contribute to City's success. There were a lot of um, introductions in this in this lineup. You had the introduction of Indiana Vasilev playing a central midfield position in place of Jabulu Blom because he was arriving late, still getting acclimated. Blom himself came on the field. You had the John Nelson, Jake Norinsky fullback combination in these first few games. You had buckets of goals. At the end of the season, one of the takeaway, two of the takeaways, I would say, are just how quickly we took people by surprise in these opening games. We scored three, three, two, three, and four goals in our first five games. This is also where we started the entire concept of overperforming our XG. Mm -hmm. the, the, the highest our XG was in these first five games is 2.1 in that San Jose game where we scored three. You know, we're overperforming consistently. We, we got ahead of ourselves in that regard. You know, we were clicking on all cylinders. We were winning home and away because don't forget, we were away, home, away, home, away, and we won all these games. And the other fun thing I saw in these five guys is 
at the beginning of the season, if you remember, we had this theory that Carnell was running formations based on home versus away. The first Austin game, the formation was a 4-2-3-1 with Klaus up top. The second game with Charlotte was a 4-4-2 with Klaus and Joachini. Portland Timbers away returned to the 4-2-3-1. San Jose at home, we had a 4-4-2. And then he, he tore it all apart with away Terrell Salt Lake, a 4-4-2. So there was, it was a fun way to start the season that I felt, uh, obviously, you, you're riding that high and you just really never thought it would end until we get to that second set of games, that second block, where the low block is what really stopped us in our tracks. So, Phil, let me know what you saw that that second block and some key takeaways because we had a loss to Minnesota United, a loss to the Seattle Sounders, both scoreless for the first time. And this was really where things kind of started to go off the rails from the, the national media saying, okay, now they're they're regressing. They're, this is the team that we thought they were going to be. And then we bounced back in that tornado warning game, beating <laughs> FC Cincinnati 5-1, to one, and then just dumping goals on, even at that point, Cincinnati was seen as one of, if not the best team in the league. The draw to the Colorado Rapids happened. Klaus saw 12 shots, I'm sorry, not Klaus, Berkey saw Berkey. 12 shots on goal. And uh, that was a Freudian slip because that's also the game where Klaus was injured. And then we had the the loss after loss after loss to the Portland Timbers, Chicago Fire in the Open Cup, and the Chicago Fire in MLS. What are some takeaways, Phil, you have from this block of games? I would say this block of games is still kind of haunting me because, um, you know, at this point, yes, we lost Klaus. And yes, it was rough. And and figuring that out um, was also one of my favorite parts of, of the season. But, you know, it was when I was more focused on the fact that we were losing to a certain kind of team because of this block, especially someone like Minnesota, someone like Chicago, who got us twice um, with different lineups. You know, there's some some play there. But, um, you know, I started to worry that we weren't going to be able to beat a certain team for the rest of the season and that, you know, City just kind of got lucky and and drew the first five games like the kind of teams that, that they can that they can beat. That's not all true, but um, I was starting to feel like, okay, this is harsh reality. We lost Klaus and we also can't beat anyone that sets up a low block against us or a counterattacks, you know, and um, you know, the, this was the first adjustment and that's, that's my favorite thing. I, I imagine we'll get into that in the next block, but you know, I will not forget this because it's still haunting me when I look at this playoff loss, right. From the last two, two weeks. Yeah, Santi, were you feeling just as haunted? Yeah, it was uh, those first two losses against Minnesota and Seattle. I was like, okay, maybe the team, um, yeah, it can compete, but it's not that good, and and teams are going to start figuring out how to uh, how to play St. Louis City and and get results, uh, and then uh, after that, you get to that. Cincinnati game that was just amazing uh, rain delay it brought some flashbacks from uh, games uh, St. Louis St. Louis FC games at at Fenton at Soccer yeah. Park uh, where <laughs> we will be there forever sometimes and not getting any news and it was it was a similar feeling and in the end um, for a moment I, I thought this game is not gonna be played and it's gonna be rescheduled, but then uh, all of the sudden the the skies cleared up, and we had a game, and and it was uh, it was goals raining back and forth. So uh, 
that was a that was a great memory. And then from that, um, you you get to uh, that next game against Colorado, and and yeah, City almost got the three points, but <clears throat> it was one of those games that Colorado had a lot of chances, and and Berkey came up big, uh, and then you had uh, the losing streak. Um, Portland, Chicago, the beginning of that Dallas game was also kind of in the middle of that. That yep. to me, that first half against Dallas, the team looked good. But uh, since that game wasn't finished, uh, just a three-game losing streak, and uh, I was really scared for uh, that next game that was part of the next uh, block. Yeah, and that's where reality had set in with this block because in the first five games, our possession never went over 48%. We were playing within ourselves. We were seeing clear cut, even to carry to the end of the season, this first five games, you could look as the model for what our style of play was. And there is a lot of truth to taking teams by surprise. And you had the conversations about the back passes and the effectiveness of the press. And that was all established in the first five games. But with this, this second block that we're talking about, Minnesota United forced us in a 54% possession. The Seattle Sounders, we ran out in a five-man back line for the first time. And this was the game where we kept them scoreless until late in the game, and they just dumped three goals on us to end it. The Cincinnati game was almost the saving grace that we needed to, I feel, climb back into and get within ourselves. The Colorado Rapids away was a, a harsh kind of reality check with, with Berkey taking so many shots and the loss of Klaus. Portland worried me, Santi, to your point there, Portland worried me, along with the Chicago Fire, in playing the same team twice at that point, where we beat Portland, but then we lost to them the second time, again, them forcing us into over 50% possession. So teams starting to maybe figure out the next time they play City. And after back-to-back losses with Chicago to end this block of games, getting bounced from the Open Cup, and not being able to put a single goal against them in MLS play, you're going from Chicago to sporting. So as we bridge this gap to the next block of, of three games, this is a pretty low point, maybe one of the lowest points except for how the season ended that we could be looking at. Uh, we had lost Klaus. We didn't know when we were going to get him back. We didn't know how to win with him. We didn't even know how to score goals without him. So there's a lot of unknown. There's He had scored five goals in that first block of games. So this, is, this to me was potentially the lowest of the low uh, even even considering the Leuven injury, I, I was just this was a lot of stuff to handle and to think how City's going to climb back out of it. But then, thankfully, Sporting KC came to town. You had the gravitas around the soccer capital, soccer city conversation. You had the cease and desists. You had the billboards on I seventy. You had the fire and the passion ignited. You you were clearly seeing everybody from the club trying to encourage a turning of the page away from Chicago. We, we don't want to think about Chicago. They they talk about a rivalry, but we, we don't see it. We're focused on our neighbors in Kansas. And then they come to town and we get exactly what we needed on multiple fronts. We not only get the win, we get buckets of goals and we figure out how to win without Klaus. Four months is how, how long we had to deal without Klaus this year. For a majority of the season, an Indiana Vasilev came and, and showed up when we needed him the most in that 10 roll in a 4-2-3-1, scoring two goals and kicking off this next set of games. Phil, what did you think about this KC game and this block in general? 
First of all, Matt, your memory is, I mean, you probably did more studying than I did, but my gosh, I like, forgot like half of that stuff or I wouldn't be able to memory recall that. So like, oh my gosh, really good stuff there. But, um, you know, if, if I was, you know, disappointed, if we weren't at an all-time low, as, as you kind of put it there in the last block, I would say this was the biggest relief of the season for me. And it was the biggest like earning of respect for me for you know, Bradley Carnell and the staff and the players. Like if you are able to uh, take, if you're able to get on such a bad losing streak, look like you have no ideas in the final third, and then you're able to change and fix that on the fly by, you know, players adjusting tactical adjustments. You know, I was, it was, it was, if, if I was being haunted by the last block in the playoffs, my hope in that second SKC game was in that they have been able to adjust in the past. And I thought if if we're going to do it, we just got to, you know, harken back to what just happened in the block we're about to talk about. And and, you know, just the fact that they were able to figure that out to me is still impressive. I'm still amazed at what Nico Joachini was able to do in, in this time period without Klaus yeah. and that, you know, clearly Bradley Carnell never lost faith in all of his players and, and they proved themselves over and over, but this was the beginning of that for me. I, I'm just my favorite point in the season. This is it. I love it. And it gives me faith, not just in, um, you know, for the rest of this last season, but like next year, you know, we're going to talk at the end probably about, you know, all the doubters are coming out of the woodwork now again, as you would expect in a loss, like what just happened. Um, I still have faith for this reason right here. Love it. I love from the lowest of the lows that I mentioned to the highest of the highs. Santi, how did you see it? Well, 10 goals in three games and uh, beating uh, your neighbor, your rival, uh, when you were at a low moment, uh, it's just great. When when that game against Sporting KC came, uh, and I mentioned in the previous game, I was like, hmm, this is looking scary, especially because Sporting KC was starting to win games after starting the season at a really low point. I remember joking when, when they were still winless, I was like, I want them to win a couple of games before they come to, to City Park, but the tables turned around and they had they had won a few in a row and, and City was on, on that winless streak. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not looking good. But Matt, you mentioned the introduction of Indiana Basileva as a number six in the game against Austin. And then you have Indiana Basileva as a number 10 mm-hmm. in this game against Sporting KC. And, and things just went great uh, during that stretch of three games. Uh, multiple players scoring goals. Uh, Miguel Perez scoring his his first goal in MLS. Uh, yeah. That was a great moment. And uh, just beat, beating Sporting, beating... Uh, Houston beating Vancouver, uh, teams that uh, were also uh, like at that point, teams that I was thinking, okay, these are the teams that uh, if City wants to make the playoffs, these are the teams uh, that it's going to need to beat and take points from. So uh, those were great wins. It was a game of, it was a stretch of three home games. And you see going into that the potential for sporting for Vancouver and Houston, who at the time were still playoff contender contenders. Any one of them catching fire at the wrong uh, wrong moment could uh, be disastrous. And especially with the form that we were in going into this, it was worrisome. 
So we know the excitement from sporting. Vancouver was memorable. And when I say it, you guys are going to remember exactly where you were and how you felt. Vancouver was the first goal from our homegrown Miguel Perez. That was the that was the game. He he had came in, he had scored on his right foot, 90 plus four. And it was it was at the time, I think the loudest city park yeah. had ever been. Maybe still. What do you guys think? Maybe still. I have it. I, spoiler alert for when we talk in our wind down. I think I have this as one of my top moments of the year. It was yeah. it was incredible. I think, yeah, if it wasn't the loudest, probably top three. I think when, when Klaus uh, came back after being out for so long, when, mm-hmm. when he uh, came yeah. back at City Park, I think it was really loud too. But I don't know which one of the two. But, but yeah, that was one of the best moments of the seasons when, when Migi scored that goal. Uh, for me, just uh, calling that goal was also amazing. And uh, just seeing uh, one of the guys that, uh, he was in the academy in 2021, then mm-hmm. played for City 2 last year, and then uh, seeing him uh, getting important minutes with the team at the beginning of the season, and then scoring his first goal in MLS, that was just great. And I yeah. don't know if we would have seen him if there wasn't the Jabulo Blom situation, you know what I mean? Right. Like, he oh, may right. not have been the first homegrown, because... I don't know if he would have been ranked the highest at the time, but I think he performs so well that maybe he should have been even. I would I would even believe that. That's a good call, and I think necessity might have dictated it, but yeah. he, he took the opportunity, bulls by the horn, and yeah. he ran with it. He So people look back at Miggy with uh, mixed feelings as far as the performance, especially midway through the season, but I think it mirrored a lot of what ended up happening with City as far as the ups and downs, the different blocks of wins and losses and how that ended up going. He, he, I'm glad he was able to take a step back and get and continue to develop himself without the pressure of needing to perform consistently this yeah. inaugural season, 18, graduating high school, like that entire thing. That whole narrative at this time where I think he graduated on a Thursday and he scored his goal <laughs> on a Saturday. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's so good. It was too perfect. One of the many like perfect planets aligned situations of the season. <laughs> yes. And and along with that, so you're looking at Edu Leuven, Nico Joachini, who are scoring in the other two games. They've, they'd scored. I, I spoke about Vasilev scoring. Well, Leuven and Joachini scored against Sporting. Uh, and then Leuven and Joachini and Tomas Olstrak scored against Houston. So these guys are catching fire, too, right? when We need them to, to bring us out from losing Klaus to figuring things out. Talking about how Nico Giochini is learning to play that number nine position at this point. So many things are kind of clicking a few games after we lose Klaus, and then you're riding that high. But unfortunately, I think circumstances get in the way after that. So our next block, in in my eyes, starts with FC Dallas and our two nothing loss. But Santi, you called it earlier. This was the re what is it re not rescheduled like re picked up game. We we yeah. Restarted game. The restarted game, FC Dallas, where it was the only game this entire season we did not have a single substitute because we had to use the same roster from before. So we went back to Dallas to finish the 50, 55 minutes, or 40, 45 minutes 40. of a match. Yeah. yeah, 40 minutes of a match. That was a 2 nothing loss. And then it kind of, I'm not saying the wheels came off again, but the next match was that Sunday LA Galaxy 1-1 draw at home where, come to find out, we lost Edu Leuven to a quad injury. I think he finished the game, but he didn't play against Nashville. He didn't play against Real Salt Lake. And suddenly, we're without our both of our designated players. We're having to figure out how to win. We're going away to Nashville in that first game after losing Leuven, 
facing a Hani Mukhtar-led team that is just flying high. They're undefeated at home at that point, I believe. And we ended up playing at one point Kyle Hebert at right back, if you remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it did not go well. I can't remember the exact specifics of the of the match, but I remember. I think he might have. This might have been the match he picked up a red card. He did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Phil, to your point, these these memories are just coming back at, at moments that I, for this match I really wish they wouldn't because I I could <laughs> go with forgetting uh, Nashville and then Real Salt Lake. I think that was a midweek match at home. 3-1 loss. This was maybe the most disappointing one to me, knowing that we had beaten Real Salt Lake earlier in the season. But the fact that we lost to them again, I mentioned earlier in that second block, facing Portland twice early in the season, losing to them the second time. You're seeing trends here. You're seeing a second time now playing Real Salt Lake, and we lose 3-1 at home. They're figuring us out. We had a .7 expected goals in there. Things just aren't going well in this stretch of games. So I, I almost just want to move on, but you know, what do you guys remember from this stretch and, and how do you remember feeling Phil? The, the, this is, I, I, we, we can move on because for me, this is like <laughs> such, even at the time I was like, what a weird stretch of games and Luvin's out, you know, Nash away to LA galaxy. That didn't bother me. Any away game we draw, that's, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to complain about no, that's that. Home, that's home. Oh, it was it? I'm so sorry. No, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Thank you. So, yeah, that bothered Which me a little. makes it even worse a little bit. It does. It does. But, you know, the Nashville game that was next, I was like, man, this team is probably our nemesis as far as playing style. They were really hot at the time. Yes. That one, I it didn't bother me at all either. Real Salt Lake, yeah, that one bothered me. Uh, but it, like I said, it was a midweek match. It was just such a weird situation for all of these. I won't beat it into the ground. I wasn't worried at the time, and it doesn't bother me now, to be honest with you. Santi? I, I was I was worried about after that loss um, against Real Salt Lake, just because yeah. you think about... Okay, um, the team went to uh, to Utah, beat them 4-0, and then come back to City Park. And uh, we also like played a great game. And uh, another again losing a streak. If you think of, if you count that Dallas game, one point in in four games, and uh, then you have to go to to visit San Jose, who at that point uh, they they were having a good season too. So. Uh, I, I was a little bit worried about uh, a string of uh, not getting results. Uh, the game against Galaxy wasn't bad. It's just uh, after the team scored that first goal, had some chances to get the second one, um, couldn't put away the game, and then uh, Galaxy ended up scoring um, in, a, in a defensive mistake, and yeah. uh, the team didn't get the three points. But, uh, but yeah, after that, we also late game. Um, yeah, uh, I was concerned, and and I know that was like the second time all the national reporters were like, uh, oh yeah, they 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 now are showing what kind of team they are, and and I keep thinking about this regression to the mean uh, from Matt Doyle, and um, yeah, that was one of those like, okay, the team is regressing, and again, teams are figuring out how to play them without Lubin, without Klaus. Uh, but then you go to the next segment and uh, a good segment again. Yeah, I, I will say, because this is my MO, trying to find positives in pockets where there is it's difficult to find positives. We mentioned earlier Nico Joachini finding form after Klaus. It took a little bit to really figure out how to play that nine that we needed him to in our system. 
in this stretch of three games or four games, really, if you count FC Dallas, but really these three Galaxy, Nashville and Real Salt Lake. It was Nico Joachini that scored in all three of those games. He was our only goal scorer in these three games where we lost. We, we drew 1-1, we lost 3-1, and we lost 3-1. So if anything can be taken away positive, is that Nico Joachini's form continued to stay hot and stay, stay strong. But then pivoting into this next block, I think the, the mention of Matt Doyle is, is a good one because – we're four blocks into this season now, going into San Jose on June 24th. I saw this not as any kind of regression, but especially if you look at it in totality with these blocks, what did, how many times can you possibly regress before you start calling it ebbs and flows and handling an MLS season? The, the way that the city team bounced back time and time again and navigated the season is, to me, highlighted by this San Jose game. We felt it for the first time with Sporting KC in that 4 nothing, but... Starting with San Jose, it was the third match in eight days. We ran out a heavily rotated lineup from anything we had seen before. People saw this lineup, and I remember being they, everybody up in arms that were <laughs> waving the white flag going into this, saying, all right, we've lost two. We're going to just throw this one in, and we're going to regroup in time for Colorado Rapids next week. But instead, we have Sam Adeneron scoring a brace and leading St. Louis to victory after being recalled that week Mm. from San Antonio. He didn't have any practice time before this game. This was Sam hopping on a flight, being called late in the week, getting to San Jose, saying, hey, guys, remember me, and then scoring two goals on the San Jose Earthquakes, a playoff team at the time. We use that as momentum going into the next few games because our goal scores continued to be Sam Adeneron. It started to be AZ Jackson. Tim Parker had two goals in this stretch of games. You're traveling, you're going away to San Jose, you're going back home to Colorado, away to Toronto, away to LAFC, and then back home to Inter-Miami to finish this block of games off before League's Cup, and you end up 4-1, and one, and you win the games that you should be winning. San Jose was the bounce back. Colorado, Toronto, and Inter-Miami, yes, they are three of the worst, worst teams in the league, and that's what we said at the time, is we started to look ahead and say, okay, we're, we can think about what we need to do to make the playoffs. And, and it's winning these games. It's showing that no matter if you're without both, one or both of your designated players, if you can perform with the roster that you have against the teams that you should beat regularly, you're going to be positioning yourself and picking up much-needed points going into the post-Leagues Cup break. So seeing this, this rotated roster, which added to the word that Lutz despises the most, depth, it provides City with every single thing that they needed to, to be confident in surviving the throes of summer. If you can have a Sam Adeneron-led team when you've already succeeded with Klaus, you've already succeeded with Nico Joachini, perform the way that they did for this block, anything's possible. What did you, what did you see, Paul? Yeah, it's, you hear it a million times, like a good team finds a way to win, and it's not always pretty. And I think this block you know, shows that to some extent. Um, but it shows this like second option, this way, you know, that that we may not have as pretty of goals. Uh, we may have to like blood and guts our way through it to some degree. You know, we don't have these beautiful Leuven goals, but we are winning. We are finding a way. And it, it, it this is like cementing that blue collar work ethic style team. This is where we show that deep down thing that we're able to pull up mm-hmm. and 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 become something when uh, 
the the opponent thinks we're down and dusted. So you know, it, this was like showing I think who they are long term. This team is not always going to be hot. This team's not always going to have a star studded ro- roster. There's going to be injuries, and I think this shows that Bradley Carnell, and and again listening to all these city voices. Uh, voice, City Voice episodes, we're hearing the camaraderie, uh, the fact that they all enjoy each other's company, that they do want to fight for each other and for the fans, right? I do think the fans have a big play in a block like this as well. Um, and so, you know, just all of those things combined, to me, this is like the identity of St. Louis shining um, because, like I said, we're not always going to have those players, but there is something, this deep, dark, Thing that St. Louis might be able to, to grab from, from down below and, and, and eke out some wins. Santi. Yeah, so, um, yeah, obviously, when I saw the lineup against San Jose, I was a little worried, especially Adeniran starting. Uh, he had just been recalled. But, yeah, that was the, the turnaround point to me and um, just a new lineup. Like, you had a, a bunch of guys who previous year winning in MLS Next Pro or USL mm-hmm. Championship, and they got the job done. And uh, I just saw the comment from, uh, from our friend uh, Chris Gephardt that uh, City never dropped below third. That's correct. And after that win against San Jose, it took a possession of first place until the end of the season. So yeah. uh, so that was uh, that was an statement uh, win for, for that lineup that was uh, there and that's when the team uh, the doubts about depth like kind of went away because you you could win with with different guys and uh, just uh, winning the games you had to win against Colorado against Miami against Toronto even competing against LAFC for um, 65 70 minutes with a rotated lineup uh, that was also good to see so great uh, finish of that first part of the season before the League's Cup break. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We are Flyover Footy recapping the 2023 inaugural St. Louis City SC season. And the next step in the season is the League's Cup break, which I, again, am good with skipping entirely over <laughs> because it was not memorable in the slightest from being uh, from, from the fan base of Club America coming in and from them dominating us on our home turf to going to Columbus, not even no, almost not even getting that game in with the weather delay that occurred there. I know there was a slew of city fans there who were just struggling in the concourse. It was a bad performance on the field. We were bounced. We took a break. And then we bounced back to another block. In, in the way we have this written out, it's our second to last block of games. It was a win-loss, win-loss. The first time all season that we had gone – back and forth between wins and losses like this. It was a 6-3 drubbing of Austin at home. It was a 2-1 loss away to Orlando. It was a 2-1 win against FC Dallas, and then a 2-1 loss against Sporting KC in Kansas on that Labor Day match. And I know of these games, the one that gives me the most encouragement looking back on it is FC Dallas. It was a very weird game because they went down a man early, and so they were in the lowest of blocks. And this was our opportunity to say, yeah, they might be down, but they're they're – they're forcing us into possession to the point where we ended the game with 64% possession and we were still able to find a way to break through and score two goals late. So that that ability for them to continue to fight was shown in spades. 
that was uh, the Anthony Marcanic goal game. That was the mm-hmm. new V. Thorson goal game. So we're getting our reinforcements in. The transfers that come in at the window, they get an opportunity to come in and score at the 82nd and 85th minute of that FC Dallas game. Besides the goals that were rained on by Austin to start off the post-Leagues Cup break uh, or, or stretch of matches, I think that was the most exciting thing to see the newbies score against FC Dallas, figure out a way to win with possession, and then it just that the block did not go didn't end well with Sporting KC, and that that I think is pretty fresh even that Labor Day matchup. So Phil, how did you see this the series of games post Leagues Cup? I just see this as a continuation of, of what you said about the ebb and flow of that there will be highs and lows. That I don't think St. Louis looked bad in any of these games. I do think that Orlando. That game was a wake-up call for me where I was like, oh, Orlando is good. And I think they're showing their talent in the playoffs here as well. Um, Bouncing Nashville, um, I think, right? They just bounced Nashville. So, um, you know, I think they looked really good doing it and pretty solid and veteran again. They just seem like such a veteran team to me. And so um, the Sporting KC game also doesn't quite bother me. I mean, it hurt me emotionally. (laughs) but (laughs) Emotional damage. (laughs) Emotional damage, exactly. But, um, you know, there were some weird calls. I would say the teams looked relatively Mm -hmm. even in this one. So I I wasn't fretting that one. Um, This whole thing, again, ebbs and flows, some losses, some wins. You know, I I, I felt fine about it. Santi? Yeah, so uh, besides that uh, Austin game that had a lot of goals, uh, the other games were, were really close, and you could see like uh, teams starting to uh, fight for playoff spots and every every game is started to feel like a playoff game. And um, to me, the highlight, even though the team lost, uh, was that game against uh, Sporting KC at, at, at Sporting KC, like just seeing all the St. Louis fans, uh, yeah. how loud they were, and it felt like a home game. And uh, when I had the opportunity to ask uh, different players about it, uh, they were really happy with the support and uh, seeing so many fans. So uh, that was a great moment. And then as we transitioned to the last block, it was it was the first time again all season long after surviving everything that we had, that we had multiple streaks uh, that, that we hadn't experienced before. Up until this block of games, we had only drawn two games all season. Suddenly we go back to back to back draws away to LA Galaxy 2-2, away to Houston Dynamo 1-1, back home, LAFC. We go away to Minnesota United, and and this was an exciting one. I was there for this one. It was a, a 2-1 win with, again, a, a bit of a rotated lineup and some some Klaus, Leuven, AZ Jackson action in the second half, a 4-1 win at home against Sporting KC, and then the wheels kind of start to come off for the last time. The the Vancouver loss, the massive breaks and different international windows, the two and a half weeks between matches, deadline day deci- or decision day loss to Seattle, and then the playoffs. So I have this this block, guys, as the streaks to end the season. And and I, I see it as a way St. Louis still picked up points as we finished the season. So there's a lot of conversation about how they ended the season, how they regressed as compared to where they started off with. But if you look at the last block and this block, we're still talking about taking points from all but four of these last regular season matches. We did what we need to do to wrap up the the, the, the conference early, for better or for worse. And so we, we did what we needed to do to finish this thing off, get ourselves in the best position to go into the playoffs. The scheduling, the they wasn't friendly to us. 
the the ability for us to handle these last couple games, Vancouver, Seattle, sporting with the playoff teams that they were, it didn't end well. But I don't think I don't think that can take away from some of the positives that we saw late in the season, able to compete away against LA, able to compete away against Houston, and then winning away against Minnesota, and also winning home against Sporting. These are things that we ended the season with that I think are being overlooked because of the way the last couple of games went. Yeah, I agree that they're overlooked. And you look at the draws and you look at the two wins that you just listed and nothing to be embarrassed about there, um, I don't think. Even the LAFC loss at or draw at home, you know, tough team. Um, I guess it's the... It's like the loss of momentum felt like a thing during this stage. And um, I don't know if that just never went away. I, I don't know. I'm just most confused about this block. When you pair it with the playoffs, it's like we don't have we have one year of examples to decide what this means. Right. And yep. it's just I, in my opinion, like you can't make a decision. Um, you can use punditry to, to say certain things. And I think that's fine. Um, some of them will be right. Some of us will be wrong. But, um, you know, when you pair this with the playoffs, the loss of momentum, will this, I guess the one thought that haunts me just a little bit is like, will this be this end of the season slump? Will this become a St. Louis city thing? And will it be a St. Louis city thing perhaps to really fly in, in the beginning of the season? Um, is this just an opponent thing? I guess what I'm getting at here is like this block is nothing but question marks to me. Um, but I would say that none of it is proof uh, of what we are and who we are. And I think some people would disagree with me on that. But I, I would say, you know, I think the team comes out of this unscathed because of what a great season it was. All the weird um, all the weird uh, dynamics of the, that last block. Um I don't know. A lot of question marks. But again, I, I want to say that I don't think there's any proof that it's over for us or that we're, we'll never be this good again or never have this season again. How do you see it, Santi? Yeah. So uh, echoing what Phil said, uh, yeah, question marks because you lost the last four games. But uh, if you go back to the beginning of this blog, the team had a five game undefeated streak which is something you didn't have since the beginning of the season. That's right? the kind of thing that keeps you at the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So that, right. and, and it competed uh, like a tie uh, against Houston at Houston. Uh, even the game against LAFC here at City Park was, was very competitive. Uh, probably one of the most entertaining uh, scoreless games I have yes. been. Uh, I have had a chance mm -hmm. to attend. Uh, but then you get to that last two games of the season. And at that point, I saw it like, okay, this, this is the loss against Bakur. I was like, this is a good loss because you don't want to go into the playoffs undefeated and, and at a high point. So I was like, okay, the team will bounce, bounce back against Seattle. And um, things didn't go uh, our way and uh, ended up not getting the points. And, and then at that point... Uh, like, um, I was a little concerned, but still had hopes. Uh, okay, the team will figure it out against Sporting KC. Didn't happen. So, yeah, some question marks. Uh, but uh, I take the positives uh, from uh, what the team did uh, the whole year. And, and I'm sure uh, Carnell, his staff, and the players uh, will have uh, good lessons from this and, and be ready for, for next season. 
And we're just about out of time on the Big 550 KTRS, but I'll I'll leave us with this. Don't let the last couple of games, the last four games in totality, cloud the vision of not only this entire season, but also how St. Louis was able to withstand a lot in the back half of the season. The 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 narrative that we regressed on the entire back half of the season, I, I think is patently false because you're seeing those second times playing teams that we mentioned earlier, like Portland and Real Salt Lake. Well, the second time we played LA Galaxy, we drew them. Second time we played Houston Dynamo, we beat them the first time, we drew them away the second time. We beat Minnesota United the second time we played them. Sporting KC was a team that we played five times this year. And when I asked Roman Berkey about that, he said it was absurd. The amount of times you play one single team four times in a two-month stretch, that's, yeah. that's atrocious. And so that's another that's another abnormality that I think clouds a little bit of this entire narrative. And and I look at, at City surviving the ebbs and flows of the season. Like you said, Phil, the question is going to be, do we start off hot next year? If not, how can we how can we find something to strive for to to go from the bottom and have those ebbs and flows and finish strong in that scenario? So there's definitely a lot unknown, unproven in the consistency year over year, obviously. But from a how we can manage an MLS season, there's so many positives that you have to take away from this system. The players who are returning, who are going to be, I think, at about 20 or 20 plus players, around 20 players, 15 to 20, who are returning next year. And they know the system. They know the struggles of MLS now. And we're going to see how they respond. So, guys, final thoughts, Phil. Oh, you know, just so proud of this team and so proud of this season. I consider myself so lucky to see the expansion season for St. Louis, my home city, the city that's always deserved soccer and and finally got it. And, you know, to experience it and for it to be as good as it was. I mean, we're spoiled rotten, guys. And, And to have mostly, mostly so to have gotten the owner that we got. And the way that she's gone about things, my goodness, we're so spoiled. Santi, final thought. Yeah, just to have an inaugural season uh, with so many historic moments, uh, so many records, uh, so many memories. Uh, and yeah, it, it didn't end uh, the way we wanted it and the way we, we started to expect it to go hmm. as the season went by and the team. Uh, like I, I just said that they took uh, first place June 24 after beating San Jose and all the way to October 21st, they were still first. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was great to see. And uh, I never imagined having a, a season like this despite uh, exiting the, the playoffs so early. I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah. And that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us here on Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. If you are interested in more, we're going to go deep in our wind down on our podcast version. So stick around or tune in to our podcast and anywhere you can get them, Apple or Spotify. My name is Matt Baker for Flyover Footy. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you later. it for the podcast we got twin o cats here from urban chestnut matt i didn't get the memo <laughs> matt encouraged me to get it and it, it's my favorite it's my favorite oktoberfest oh cats for the uh, off-season edition of the wind down 
which I think, I think, uh, let's, you know, start off a little different than we do normally in the wind down because we do have some news that happened this week to touch on before getting into some fun stuff about, uh, some of the bigger things this season. Uh, the obvious big one is that Roman Berkey is our 2023 MLS goalkeeper of the year, beating out the other two front runners, Roman Celentano from Cincinnati and Pedro Galisi from Orlando City. But I mean, can you even call it a final three, guys? When <laughs> Roman Berkey gets Roman Berkey gets sixty percent of the player vote, seventy percent of the club vote, and seventy one percent of the media vote. The other closest are Salentano with six percent, five percent, three, Galisi with three, seven, and four percent. This was a this was an a, this was an absolute trouncing of the entire competition by Berkey. I think you should go into your your uh, stats as well, Matt, if you don't mind. Yeah. So there's um the obvious you know, you can call them trolls. You don't have to, but you could. Uh, from fans of other clubs, maybe the more nicer way to put it, who were saying, uh, oh, Roman Berkey only had eight clean sheets. Roman Berkey had one of the more, one of the higher goals against. And then uh, you take five seconds to Google uh, what are some good individual goalkeeper stats to show actual individual performances. And you come across some advanced stats like, the post shot expected goals minus goals allowed, which basically says after how likely it is the goalkeeper is to save a shot. So it talks about the expected goals after the player shoots it, taking into consideration um, not just like player where they are on the field, uh, but where they're aiming the ball, kind of uh, where the ball is in traffic, a lot of different variables that gets gets down to the individual goalkeeper's skill and not necessarily the team-based approach of getting a clean sheet or goals against. And per FB ref, Roman Berkey is the leader in the league in this post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed, the difference in how many goals he actually allowed versus what he was expected to and was able to prevent himself with a 9.1, plus 9.1 in that. The higher the number, the better you are, and a better indication of individual goalkeeper skill. The next highest was... Daniel from San Jose with plus 7.3. Uh, Georgi Petrovic had six. Um, Martin Pace got 4.6. If you look at the other three finalists, or the other two finalists, rather, Roman Celentano and um, uh, Pedro Galisi, Galisi had plus 1.4 in the post-shot expected goals, minus goals allowed. Roman Celentano, plus 0.3, basically mm. even. And so this number talks about individual shot stopping ability, right? But that's not Roman Berkey's only skill. That's not the only thing that he's good at. So you take those numbers and you look at other things like his distribution, his ability to defend more than just his line. And this didn't get as much love on Twitter, but Roman Berkey was third in the league and completed launched balls over 40 yards, indicating such a high level of distribution. And he was fourth in defensive actions outside of his penalty area. The kicker on both of those is if you take those three stats, the post-shot expected goals, minus goals allowed, the distribution, accurate distribution over 40 yards, and the defensive actions outside your penalty box, take all three of those. The only players above Berkey in the launch balls and the defensive actions had either a zero or a negative post-shot expected goals, minus goals allowed. And Berkey led the league in that stat. I mean, we're talking about the total package in the ability to, as an individual shot stopper, all other things being even as far as your team's defensive prowess, the team's number of shots allowed, your ability to distribute at so, such a high level 
and your ability to defend more than just your line, go out into space and get the ball. And we know how adept Berkey is, all those things. That's why cumulatively you can explain easily why the media, the clubs and the players all saw you're looking at the eye level, the eye, the eye test from the players type of a thing, but also the analytics that the media provides and that the clubs provide. It all adds up to the no brainer that we saw from the vote. And there is on top of those stats, there's another underlying stat um, that was in that athletic article, you know, breaking down the effectiveness of every team's designated players. And, you know, he added in the St. Louis paragraph that if Berkey was considered a DP for St. Louis, that his goals added would put us miles above everyone else in that category. So that also, you know, helps prove your, your point there. Uh, Santiago, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on Berkey. We're getting some receipts from FC Cincinnati pundits, and uh, that was fun to see this week. But um, Santiago, I, I give you permission to talk about the goalkeeper and the the cute puppy in this in this category here, if you'd like. What a great season by uh, Roman Berkey. The thing that will have been the cherry on the top of all of this will have been if he had gotten an assist. Uh, there were a couple of plays where he had some really good passes and could have ended on a goal, but uh, but no, I I loved uh, what what I saw from him. Uh, Matt talk about the defensive actions outside of the box. Uh, he has a great vision uh, for what's going on. Uh, reads the plays really well, and and he was very successful in those defensive actions. Uh, at the end of the season, um, the last preseason game that was a closed doors game, but I had a chance to attend. Uh, and I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but he had a couple of defensive actions outside the box where he used his head. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, we are going to be down for a show here. And I remember asking Bradley Carnell about. I was like, "Yeah, you're gonna see things like that the whole season because uh, <laughs> that's what 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 we need from him and and the way he plays." Uh, but yeah, it was a great season for him. Um, and I have mentioned this on the pod um, when he was signed. I was a little skeptical. I was like, "Well, he hasn't played in a year, and yeah, he." he he had some minutes with CD2, mm-hmm. um, but I was thinking, ah, I don't know, like, uh, is he going to be able to get back to uh, his level, the level he had at, at Borussia Dortmund, or are we going to have issues at the goalkeeping position? But but no, he he got better every week, and uh, and uh, it was just uh, a great season. And, and yeah, since Phil gave me permission, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we have a puppy, uh, her name is... Berkey, um, we we toy with different names, uh, but the one that ended up sticking was was Berkey. So sometimes it's, it feels weird, like I'm in the middle of the day here working, and I have to yell Berkey. No, it's it's, it's so weird, but at the same time, it's it's funny. Uh, but no, great season by but Berkey, and we have our own Berkey. Love it. Uh, both uh, good-looking beings. um let's let's talk about this final uh press conference Uh, and and while we're at it i do want to say uh it was a lovely goodbye video a lovely thank you video that they posted from the players um so again uh creative department doing a wonderful job there 
Uh, but this final press conference, I didn't realize we were going to get like practice. Did we get every player? Practically every player. Double digit players. Yeah. Yes. Very good amount. And they so re- much information, so much like good opinion, so many good like behind the scenes kind of stuff. I've been the kind of stuff I've been wondering yeah. all season. They really nailed some things down. Yeah, it really felt like I, I've said this multiple times, last day of school vibes. Yeah. Where everybody's just showing in. They're showing up with uh, street clothes, just like they're literally getting ready to walk out the door for the last time for a summer or in this case, winter break. And everybody was just very uh, jovial, very lighthearted. They're willing to open up a little bit more. It even and, and the tone was set by Lutz and Bradley sitting next to each other, answering questions, going into just an array of topics. And all the players really seemed um, they were they were reminiscing in a very positive manner. But everybody had this inkling of we know it ended uh, less than what we wanted. Like it was, it was a poor ending, but that can't diminish the entire season. That was one of the big takeaways. Um, I, I tried to tweet out as many different quotes as I can from each one of the players from Lutz and Bradley. I know Justin Horniker did as well. So if you want more details on some of the quotes, check out, uh, my Twitter, check out Justin Horniker's Twitter, and then check out the city YouTube page because they posted the press conference in full. If you've got three hours to kill, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a bad watch and it's worth I, it. Yeah, I, I fully think it's worth it. You know, you you got you understood a lot more about the players and their mindsets when you hear them break certain things down and re- reflect in this manner where they don't have to worry about the next game yet. They don't have to worry about going back to practice. They're they're letting themselves mentally deload. And that was it was good to see. Tim Parker even said very clearly, you know, as a leader, I'm telling these guys you need breaks. You need a mental rest, you need to unwind, just unplug. And, and because we're coming back strong. And the, one of the questions is people from fans and everybody asked is when are they coming back? Because we know the CONCACAF Champions Cup starts the beginning of February. We will be playing competitive matches throughout the month of February and then starting MLS play, assume, presumably at the end of February still. But we also have – we know that we're going to uh, Coachella or Golchella again in February as well. So St. Louis city will have a presence there in February. A lot of things going to start ramping up, but the players really have time off until after the holidays. That's when everybody's going to get going back again. So this will be a period where we're still going to be doing the pod, talking about the roster and building and different rules and uh, dates throughout the off season calendar year and any news that breaks, we're still going to be here, but the players are unwinding, you know, we'll, we'll, do what we can to keep, to touch base with them and see what they're up to. But a lot of them have left already. We knew Jabulu Blom went to South Africa yesterday. He, in fact, was early on the press conference because he had a one o'clock flight to Johannesburg. <laughs> yeah. So he's out. Um, we've heard that you know Berkey, Klaus, Leuven, a lot of guys are going home. They're just getting back to to families, to friends, to uh, other other areas of the world, South America, Europe, wherever it is, and they're unplugging. Uh, except for Nico Joachini, potentially. Who of of all players said how much Nico and Leuven spoke about how much they loved St. Louis and the state of Missouri and different things like that, the area. And Nico went so far as to say he loves it so much. He's looking to buy a place in St. Louis now. That's pretty cool. We could basically think of him as a homegrown here pretty soon, the way he's talking. And it's exciting. What? Why not? Nico Joachini, you know, we're taking him to Kansas City. (laughs) They took enough of our guys before we had a team that, you know, we're we're claiming Nico now. Now he's really going to get booed. (laughs) Same back. I love it. But no, it was it was a good time. And it was uh, really kind of um, a period at the end of the sentence of the season. And it was a good finish. It was uh, a lot to just debrief with everybody and to carry forward into the offseason. 
a lot of candor. That was my favorite part. San Diego, what what did you think about this one? Yeah, no, it was a great event. Um, getting to hear uh, everybody's um, like final thoughts, and uh, there were some interesting quotes. Uh, but yeah, everybody was in a good mood. I, I honestly didn't think it was gonna last uh, three hours, but uh, every player uh, sat down. Uh, mo- some for more than 10 minutes, but uh, most yeah. of them reached the, the 10 minute mark and uh, good conversations, good insight. Uh, but uh, to me, the, the, the one thing I that was uh, really positive was uh, just uh, the love they have for the city and uh, how much they like the fans and the support. And uh, just uh, they know that it didn't end in a good note and they were disappointed and um, it will be a good motivation for for 2024 so so yeah um time for time for a break and it's gonna be a short one just because uh with CONCACAF Champions Cup uh the preseason uh will probably start a little earlier than than last year yeah I hope they rest up um one guy that may not rest up as much as the others though I think he's perfectly happy for it John Bill getting called up to Jamaica, and I, I had totally forgotten that he was eligible. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I knew. I knew that he was eligible for Jamaica, but this is super cool for him. And, you know, he could not have been happy with the amount of minutes he got this year, and I really right. think this will help his profile because you look at like someone like Damian Lowe is a, you know, a USL legend as far as center backing in, in the USL, but playing with Philadelphia Union as a starter – in the playoffs right now, looking pretty good um, to have John Bell perhaps next to a guy like that and playing well with all of the Premier League players that they have now that have come into the squad. Um, hopefully this helps him out and maybe he gets more minutes with us. Maybe he goes somewhere else and becomes a starter or, you know, the third center back somewhere. Um, either way, I was so happy for him and so happy to see this. He never really got going with the team. It always seemed like he was a little further back in the depth chart. He didn't have very many opportunities to start with St. Louis City. He saw some time with City 2 and Next Pro yeah. playing uh, playing here and there. But uh, his time with City was really he, – he was able to play some in the Open Cup. He played, like I said, in Next Pro. He did start – I think the, the highlight of his year might have been that Minnesota game, the second time we played them in September, going to Minnesota. He, was, he started, played 74 minutes and helped our team stay in that 2-1 win. So that was, I think, a highlight for him. But I don't think he, he looked bad it. in that game either. Like, didn't we no. all agree that he looked fine? Yeah, I thought I thought he looked just fine. No, the the, the few minutes, the, I think he was, he was three stars against uh, Minnesota, against LAFC, mm-hmm. and uh, he also started one in League's Cup. It must have been against Columbus. Columbus, um, yeah. But um, he, uh, he looked... He looked good in in those games. Uh, it's just that that center back position had a lot of competition, and um, he uh, obviously beginning of the season he was recovering from an injury, so mm-hmm. I think that yeah. set him back a little bit. And and Lucas Bartlett was signed because he had that injury, I think. Yeah, and right. He, and, and not just Nilsson, but you know that's that's part of the explanation for the center back depth is Lucas Bartlett in in a in a way that. Uh, you could say some other like Anthony Marcanic did halfway during the year where he came on and he maybe was supposed to be a depth piece to start. And then he just proved himself, won that internal competition. And suddenly Lucas Bartlett is starting in that first U.S. Open Cup game against Omaha right alongside Josh Yarrow. And John Bell ends up being a sub 
only playing 19 minutes. That, that was his first appearance as a sub in the U.S. Open Cup game. And that tells you, based on how we prioritized the U.S. Open Cup this year, where his spot is on the depth chart. And it never really changed throughout the year. He's a player who I'm going to be interested in this offseason, whether or not we pick up his option. And, and it wouldn't surprise me one way or another. I know he has talent. He was beloved in New England. I remember specifically a fan <laughs> video from New England when he was drafted. Yeah. This, this fan was – it might have been tongue-in-cheek, but he was absolutely no, devastated. it was not. <laughs> okay. Do you guys remember it too? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember it. Was it. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, the, that was the introduction we had to him, but we never really got a chance to see it. And I wouldn't mind if Bell stuck around, if we re-upped his contract and he stayed with us and maybe fought to get more minutes. I think a healthy John Bell going into next year could be valuable at at minimum as a rotational player. I completely agree. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Matt, this next one, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it straight to you. MLS up playoff update. <laughs> You know, <laughs> some people might care still about the MLS Cup playoffs and where they are. Right now, we're in a uh, – well, we're almost in an international break. Uh, Cincinnati and Philadelphia have moved on to the semifinals in the East. Uh, we are awaiting the results of Columbus, Atlanta, and we know Orlando has moved on to defeat Nash- – after defeating Nashville. So Orlando, Cincinnati, and Philadelphia are three of the four in the East. Uh, we have – Sporting in the West, they will play the winner of Houston Rail Salt Lake. LAFC has defeated Vancouver. They'll move on to play the winner of Seattle Dallas. So we don't know a whole lot yet. I mean, there's still a long way to go. MLS Cup itself isn't for another month. It's one month from today as we're recording this, I believe, December 9th, if I recall. Yep, yep. So, you know, we have an international break that's going to occur between this coming weekend and Thanksgiving. So no matches. The next uh, semifinals will pick up on November 25th. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So a huge break without soccer. And then it just picks up and ramps up from there. So whenever we have future episodes, we'll touch on it. But um, I'm, I'm just watching it as a, a neutral, casual fan right now because I have no rooting interests. If I had to make a, a guess on what I wanted to see, or rather if I had to say what I wanted to see, I wouldn't mind if Philadelphia beat, beat Cincinnati. Uh, I wouldn't mind if the winner of Columbus Atlanta moved on. I think that would be fun to see. Hell is real would be fun to see in the Eastern Conference Final. But yeah. uh, if Cincinnati were to stumble, I would not shed a tear. Um, I, I don't really have a dog in the fight in the West outside of – I'm torn in, in two regards. So here's the, here's the St. Louis fan in me saying I hope SKC gets just annihilated when they play <laughs> the winner of Houston or Salt Lake. But it would say more – reflectively about city if yes. SKC is able to go further. So we, we don't have that piling on of, we were bounced back to back by a team that was eliminated quickly thereafter. So it, it's tough to say which one as a city fan, you really want more outside of just the hatred. A lot of people have for SKC, which yeah. I'm, I'm there, but I don't know what to think on that. I am on that boat, uh, that it would be good. If, if a sporting KC keeps advancing just because, it will be one of those things that oh okay yeah they beat they beat city but they beat other teams and uh, show that um, they were in a great part of the season for them and uh, took advantage of the momentum and made it far. Mm-hmm. If they lose, it's gonna be that narrative oh we lost to to Sporting KC that then didn't do anything else in the playoffs. So part of me wants yeah Sporting KC to do well but please don't do that well don't don't win the cup because then we will all be 
very disappointed and sad. But, yeah, uh, but not yeah. that far. Not yeah. that far. You know, honestly, as a City fan, the best thing to do regarding SKC might just to be don't say anything. Right. Don't, don't give them the satisfaction one way or another of saying, we hope you lose. And then if they win, they have yet something else. Don't say you hope they go all the way because then – you're a you're a city fan who lost. Who has to root for Case? Like, there's no win. Like, let's just talk about ourselves well, and focus on hating on Cincinnati. I mentioned those Brian Weigel receipts earlier, and it's like, why did he say that? Because it's it's in writing, you know. Like, yeah. and I he am, called us STLFC when we've had. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, I noticed that. But you know, we've had our moments. You know, Matt and I both got real emotional during the game for the SKC game against Matt Doyle, but like. We've all like made little tiny missteps throughout the season on Twitter, but first of all, we delete those every time. We've all done it, right? And then uh, next of all, like we don't talk crap on people. It's just not our style. I don't know if that's like a St. Louis thing or what, but like I don't get that. I, it, he should have deleted it. Number one, <laughs> number two. Why do you even around. say it? It's very yeah. strange. Very yeah, strange. There, there was a lot of that going around, and. That was a, a deserved dunking on anybody who yes. uh, heavily, not just discounted, but flat out said this this roster has no chance of succeeding. Like they mm-hmm. are being put together like a 2019 FC Cincinnati. The, if you say something like that and you're leaving that post up, then you're leaving yourself open for everything you get because there's no reason to say that other than just to try to spark some kind of response. I guess I give him some props for self-deprecation. You, you get some points there for that one, but <laughs> that's fair. He owned it. He owned it today. He did. He did. Um, let's talk about Leuven's quote. This is kind of like I would say this is the number one thing that fans responded to in all whatever three hours of this yes. press conference. It's a fun one. I would even say um, if we want to pat ourselves on the back, this has been a topic for us. Throughout the entire season, the second Leuven played is no. I remember talking about this in preseason. Yeah. So yeah, go when ahead, Matt. The, when, I, I when see he had ready. the number ten. When he had the number ten, that was the thing that sparked it all. It's because we knew when he was signed <laughs> that he wasn't a playmaking number ten. That that's not where we expect him to be. It was said multiple times when he was signed that he was a box to box midfielder, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. we plug the eight. We plug him at the eight. So we're putting together rosters and lineups and formations at the beginning of the season. It's it's Blome at the six. It's Leuven at the eight, whether you put them next to each other, whatever formation, you can see the spine progress from Blome to Leuven to insert 10 here to Klaus. But what we saw was just Leuven all over the place all season long. And it was partially because of uh, circumstances and who was playing around him, the absence, the presence of Jabula Blome, the absence or presence of a true number 10, whether it's Vasilev, AZ Jackson, Tomas Ostrak. And then everything that started happening with Klaus and Jokini and what Lubin needed to do. I will say, because we have consistently talked about this, I, I have to, in, in a small way, I, I don't usually do this, but I'll toot my own horn. And this was my question that I, I asked him in the press conference to try and understand. And, and I was hoping that he would go this deep into it to understand what his thoughts were. In in the we didn't we didn't go deep into individual issues. Um, and conversations in the KTRS part. But this was a a persistent conversation about Edu Leuven and whether he was missing a step after he came back from injury from his quad, what the deal was with him just missing for large portions of the game in multiple games. And so as I read, I'm going to read this full quote from Leuven because I transcribed it. I wanted to get the full thing out there. As I read this, be thinking back into some of the previous games and emotions that you felt about seeing Leuven play 
the left mid of a, of a diamond, mm-hmm. seeing him play the double pivot with Blom, seeing him play as a 10 in a few games, and just remember, kind of remember what he was doing in those games and how successful you re- recall him being. Because Leuven definitely has thoughts himself. He said, quote, I would say I preferred the six the most to play with two sixes. I think the eight and some things that were misunderstandings on my end where I interpreted the position differently, where it was very wide because I didn't receive as many balls in the center of the field. I tried to find the pockets, and but in the style we play, it's not as easy. I think in the 10, there were some games I felt I couldn't get as much into the game because I had to wait for many balls. On the six, I can create more. And where teams were making it good, they didn't allow me to get into spots, and I was a little bit wasted. At the end of the day, the coach wanted to give me a lot of freedom in these positions, and I think that's what he did. So I appreciate that he gave me the freedom, and I don't have to be stubborn in this one position, but I can float around everywhere kind of. In many things, I can do better next year to interpret those positions even better, and the team can get me into better positions as well. End of the day, with two sixes, I think it worked out often very well, but as an eight at the end of the season, there were good performances, I would say. So Leuven clearly a fan of the creativity he perceives as being a double pivot to Blome and able to do more with the ball in more space, which is when I think of a double pivot, I don't necessarily think of the freedom you have in all that space, but he's right. You have more of the field in front of you. You have, you have a wider vision to project where you can send the ball and how to distribute it. Even if you're not being tasked with playmaking the final third to score a goal, he said himself that he just, it, it, you could kind of tell he felt hamstrung as a 10 with, um, you, you can call a 10 a creative playmaker, but he didn't have the ability to maneuver in space mm-hmm. and, and create in that sense. So he couldn't get into the game. He was waiting for many balls. So in a lot of the games, I remember Leuven at, at 10 or even as a left mid, he wasn't getting a lot of distribution to him. He wasn't receiving the ball in places where he could really do a whole lot. And he, we didn't have connection in our midfield. So the, the games where he would disappear, I always perceived it as there's a lack of connection between our lines. We can't connect Blome to the other midfielders. We can't connect our back line to our central mids, to our attackers. And hearing Leuven describe a lot of his misunderstandings where he's interpreting the eight differently than what Carnell intends. And he's going out very <laughs> wide because he didn't get as many balls centered, those kinds of things. It really explains a lot of what we've been seeing this entire year. What do you think, Santiago? Yeah, it, it was great to to get that insight from him. Uh, I was surprised at the beginning when he said uh, his preferred position was the six, but as he explained it and explained some of the challenges playing as a number eight or even as a number ten, it it made this started to to make sense. And I went back to uh, I went back and look at the announcement uh, when he was signed, and yeah, he it says that. He is a, a defensive uh, midfielder. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I think the way he, he talks about it, like a double pivot, but uh, you still have the whole field and uh, then uh, you have some kind of freedom to to build plays. It, it makes sense because uh, between him and Blom, uh, they, can, um, they can do great things defensively. And once you recover the ball, then Lewin has all that space to to build. So yeah, you, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, this will evolve and uh, what uh, the team will do next year. But but I like what he said about the coach giving him freedom. Me too. Even when he was the sixth, the 10 or the eight. Um, so I think um, the team and him will build from this and uh, 
he will come back uh, better uh, as a better player next year. Yeah, I don't think just some alternate alternative uh, translations of some of this. Like, I love that he said that the coach gave him freedom, as he said there, Santiago, because I, I don't want everyone to read this necessarily as like throwing Carnell under the bus. Like he played me at the 10 and I couldn't no. get the ball. I think it's no, more no, no, no. like no matter where I was, he actually gave me permission to find the ball wherever <laughs> it is. So even when he was at the 10, it sounded like he wasn't hamstrung per se. Um, but you know, it, it sounds like through the natural play of this style or even this combination of players, he just for some reason found that if he was in a certain place in the formation, he was able to get on the ball more. And I think we could all agree that Leuven is probably our best player. And I mean, on the field at least. Um, and if the more he gets the ball, the better on that one. And, and I think the last thing as we kind of always tend to beat this horse to death, uh, but everyone asks all the time anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, I think like the last, that last block of games that we saw, we kind of saw AZ stop being quite as effective somehow. And I don't know if that was just teams adjusting the formation, I think was a good shout on whether we had two strikers or not. Um, Matt mentioned connecting the, 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 uh, the lines Yep. You know, uh, sorry, Leuven even mentioned how he wasn't able to get on the ball and how many times did we see AZ dropping all the way down into the sixth position so he could finally get the ball and carry it forward. We saw it throughout the season, and at the end he wasn't able to kind of be as effective. And I just wonder if it's the system. Like, we're never going to have that playmaking 10 that's, like, crazy. And I think that's fine in modern soccer. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But then my other thought is... In the offseason, when we go over our mm-hmm. list of needs and depth, I cannot help but think about what... For a while, I was saying we need a, a, a more goal-dangerous winger um, every once in a while as a break mm-hmm. from just our pure pressing-style uh, wingers. But maybe just a goal-dangerous 10 would be that perfect bridge between allowing Leuven to play where he needs to play, <laughs> having a 10 up top who can be goal-dangerous and carry the ball forward no matter whether he's getting the ball or not, can we work a system around someone because they're that good? Just thoughts like now I'm like really on board with either a DP or a U22 initiative. U22 initiative is is exactly what I'm really hoping for, um, for a 10 that's goal dangerous and, and can improve this situation that Leuven was finding problematic. Well, the the com- I know it's Leuven that we're focusing on here, but be- because your your point is, I-, I think I'm agreeing with you, Phil, in the sense of Leuven is probably our best overall player <clears throat> on the field. But the conversation we're having here can be compared to Indiana Vasilev, who we talked about on the KTRS portion, who started the season yeah. playing as a six, and he's played as a wide mid. He's played as a ten. I think there was even one game where he was as high as you could call a second striker when he needed to be there. He played all over the field too, but the the comparison I want to make is to your point of Bradley Carnell asking Leuven to do certain things and giving him the freedom to move around. And that's kind of what he did for Indy. It's you're putting players who you know are just good footballers on the field in spots that you need them to play in your system. So if you're if you're looking at your holistic lineup and you're saying I'm looking back early in the season, I'm looking back at that Charlotte game where we or not Charlotte, the Portland game, very first Portland game where we ran a 4-2-3-1 and Leuven was our 10, Vasilev and Perez were our double pivot. 
Mm-hmm. That, that's the kind of thing we did early in the season. And those are the evolutions that we have where it's not just Leuven who's moving around the midfield, but it's it's a, everybody but Jabulu Blom basically is just moving around in different parts of the yes. midfield to try and find areas that they're most successful in. And, and this system is all about a puzzle. And you're saying you have certain players who they are they're the best in certain spots. Jabulu Blom is the only player right now that I would peg as in our midfield – you know where he's going to be the entire time. He is the six. He doesn't play anywhere else. He's our destroyer. That's what he does. In the midfield elsewhere, you have Indiana Vasilev, you have Edu Leuven, Tomas Ostrak, Jared Stroud. All these players can play just about any position. Rasmus All might be the only exception where he's going to be on the right side or a second striker on the right at all times. He plays the right side of the field. Everybody else is fluid, and Carnell has shown throughout this year that he's willing to move players front and back, left and right, depending on how they fit in this bigger puzzle. And that's probably something that we're going to see going into next year as well. Question for you guys. Um, do you do you ever find it strange that um, Indy never played the 10 again after that stretch of like successful games at the 10? Or did I forget about a game maybe he struggled at the 10? Position. No, I, I probably need to look through the match notes, but I remember there being, um, and it's that it's that one block of games, the FC Dallas Galaxy, Nashville, Real Salt Lake, because mm-hmm. between the three-game win streak and that and the San Jose game, um, when AZ got his chance, he didn't let go of it. True. And AZ was our 10. I think uh, Indy took the 10 through the three-game win streak because Carnell does that. He rides the hot hand and keeps players in positions. Yeah. If they're successful and he'll he'll ride those games, which which I I admire that respect for uh if he's going to change things up like he did in san jose keep with it don't go immediately back to your top 11 just because they had worked earlier in the season but to that that point i think once leuven went down vasilev had to drop back and that's where he got out of the 10 Mm -hmm. so in a perfect world leuven stays uh healthy vasilev might end up continuing to play the 10 because leuven is on the field in a defensive mid position able to cover that field this is an example of Vasilev moving where he needs to be. He's clearly at that point and, and towards the end of the season, even a third option as a defensive midfielder. And so if Leuven or Blom needs out, Vasilev slides back into that position and coupling that with AZ taking over the 10, you just don't see a lot of opportunity for Indy to own that position. Carnell used him a lot more on the wings than he did at the 10 after that. And on top of that, we didn't see AZ in that last game. And they talked about specifically stretching the field. And to be honest, strangely, I thought Indy, even though he's been playing as a six half the year, was the best at stretching the field. And and yeah. stretching the field typically, as you said, Matt, is Alm's job. And he's been out, right? And so, you know, that's another puzzle piece that I think we can think about in the in the offseason. Um, Les Nico, that's the last thing I wanted to ask you guys about. Les Nico, after he went on that stretch and did what he needed to do for the team... Um, I thought that was a little bit strange. I'm not, n- none of these are critiques. It's just, I'm pointing at things that happened throughout the season that I was like, huh, that's interesting. I, my thought on that, it, it mirrors my thought on a lot of, of other areas. Um, again, that flashpoint game of San Jose where you bring Sam back and Sam has a brace and then you continue with that same lineup, Colorado, Toronto into that stretch where you're running Sam as your striker Nico became a, a compliment to Sam at that point. And, and both of them, Nico's coming off those strong games where he's the only player who scored the goals against LA Galaxy, Nashville, Real Salt Lake. And then in San Jose, 
it's it's Sam stepping in and doing the work. And so Sam doesn't leave the field. Um, with that game, it was Sam and Alm at San Jose. So Nico didn't start it, but we ran a two striker and that's where Alm was on the right side. That combination had a lot of potential and I think they, they were extremely successful. So you're getting another hot striker. And so Carnell's riding Sam as the season progresses and you see what Sam's capable of on the left side in stretching the field and taking one B ones effectively. Klaus is your clear cut number nine when he's healthy. So when he comes back, the competition is for who's going to compliment Klaus. And it was Sam for good portions. And so Klaus never lost his spot when healthy. The question is who's going to compliment him if we go two strikers. And if we don't go two strikers, then it's just, it's just Klaus. So that I, as opposed to reading too much into Nico, it's just a a, a numbers game. It's a battle of who's going to compliment Klaus when we need that, not who's going to push Klaus off of his pedestal, at least this season. Yeah, it's just that competition for that second striker spot. And the other thing, he Nico got a little bit unlucky. So he scored two goals against Austin uh, when the team returned from that League's Cup break. Next game, he was against Orlando and he got injured. Yeah, that's yep. true. So uh, he, he also missed some time there. And then Klaus was back. So Klaus was getting more minutes. Uh, so I think it's, it's a combination of all those things. And, and Sam uh, was also scoring goals uh mm-hmm. but i think having those three um healthy at the same time i think the team will have a lot of options and then mm-hmm. you add rasmus on uh it's another variable to that puzzle and different things uh different lineup different combinations that the team can can show um but yeah i think he got he just got unlucky in that orlando game i, I felt really bad because it was like a Going back to uh, playing his former team, and um, he he couldn't do much just because of that injury. Yeah, and, and when we're going to talk about the roster and and projections, t- contracts, all that thing on probably on next week's show. But I do think that's something to keep in mind is if you're looking at the transfer window that uh, Billy and Chad definitely mentions opens in 52 days from when we're recording. Yes, thank you. <laughs> if you're looking at the transfer window, if you're looking at who's coming back. Think about everything that we've mentioned in this entire episode. And when they're healthy, the depth that we truly have in our attack and our midfield right now with uh, running a 4-4-2 especially, we have a potential for Klaus, Sam, Nico, or Alm to all run those effectively. And they've, they've shown throughout the season that they can do it. Too deep in each one of those positions, if you have a 4-2-3-1, Alm out on the right, Klaus up top, and then you have Sam and Sam and Nico who can still you know, help in that scenario, assuming all four of them are coming back. Um, there's, there's also a lot of midfield options. And so I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we need, especially in the attack, I don't think we necessarily need massive reinforcements. We also have Nuke B. Thorson, yeah. who we're going to talk about in a minute. And, and there's a lot of existing options on our roster that we just need to get healthy and get rested and get ready to go for next year because we're going to need them all in that fixture congestion we're going to have starting in February. And I just quickly want to say that, like, uh, once Sam came, I think Sam likes to stay high. He's best on the counterattack. That's obvious. Yep. And I think Klaus started dropping in more, and that's exactly the space that Nico likes to operate in as a second striker. So I thought that was maybe sure. part of it as well. Um, let's move. Let's finish this off. We got a few more topics to touch on before we close it out. Um, top three players of the year besides the awards finalists. I think that's I t- a nice change there. 
I took this from uh, Phil when you and I were with Brendan uh, earlier towards the end of the regular season uh, on the Big 550 KTRS. We were with Brendan Weezy on the Soccer on the Lou show on Tuesday, and we were looking at some of these best players, favorite players, favorite moments. I thought it'd be fun for us to look at it here with the caveat of your your top three players in whatever criteria that you want to, but take the award finalists out of it. Take out Berkey, take out Leuven, and take out Parker because their contributions and recognition throughout the season is obvious because they were nominated for goalkeeper, MVP, uh, newcomer, and defender of the year. I'll, I wrote mine down, so I gave mine away, and I'll go first while you guys um, try to steal better options. And, and you can even use the same names. But I went with Klaus, Blome, and Stroud. Klaus is probably obvious in what his importance was, and we mentioned having to change entire systems because he was injured. Jabulu Blome, I hope, is apparent and obvious in the impact he had as the destroyer, as the six, persistent throughout the year. Lutz referred to him at the beginning of the season when he was signed as the missing puzzle piece, Mm -hmm. and I think he showed himself in that regard throughout the year. I also do think there was a massive evolution in Blome's game as he became more acclimated because he he did when he had the opportunity to talk to us he mentioned multiple times how it was difficult early in the season to acclimate to a new country a new culture a lack of family lack of friends all of these things being away from home that we said were benefits to the rest of our international players from arriving last year Blom didn't have that he was the exact opposite he was the player who is the quintessential MLS international signing in a window and and he was he had a difficult go of it. He was he was sick. He was injured. You know, at one point he had COVID. At one point he had a groin injury. All these things were at the beginning of the season. And so looking at his season as a whole, we were different when Blome was in the lineup as our six, undoubtedly to me. Um, and then the last one is I, I still don't know why this is such a polarizing player in some regards. I mean, I get it. I get it from his certain skills that he has and certain things that he shows. But Jared Stroud is one of my absolute top players of the year. Stats-wise, he mentioned it in, uh, in his, his time that he had with us this week, that it was statistically his best season. From mm-hmm. Red Bulls to Austin to St. Louis, he had five goals and five assists. He was one of just a handful of players who had 10 goals plus assists throughout the year, double digits. He was a consistent presence on the left or the right side throughout the year. He didn't play the full 90 often, but what he did was provide that physical presence in the midfield. He connected lines a lot. He sent a lot of crosses in. He 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 wasn't great at 1v1s in winning the ball against players with his quickness. He had some errant passes throughout the year. But what he was able to do consistently in the midfield to help connect some of those lines, in a lot of the wins, he was one of our most effective players. And I felt like he was one of those, Let's I mean, let's be honest, he's a Carnell guy. There's, there's no other way around that. Yeah. And it goes back to his time with New York Red Bulls. Our friend Jen Cease, who does announcing for Y98, she made note of the fact that Jared Stroud started to really get into form with the Red Bulls when Bradley Carnell took over as the interim coach. He was starting for the Red Bulls up until the playoffs when Carnell was their interim. Going into the playoffs, the Red Bulls removed that interim tag from Carnell. They hired, I don't know who they hired, but they hired whoever they did. It wasn't Struber, was it, in place of Carnell at that point? But anyway. Mm, no. When was, they it, brought, was it when Chris they, Armas, maybe? No. No. no? When, when they brought in the coach, Stroud was benched, and the Red Bulls lost. Like, Stroud didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs, um, but he was a Carnell guy at that time. Stroud is a guy who thrives in this system. 
And, and there's a lot of questions from that I've seen on, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, asking just how does Jared Stroud continue to find himself in this lineup? And yes, it is. A, he does exactly what Carnell wants him to do. He's the physical presence. He, he does what he needs to do on the wings to keep the ball in dangerous spots. He does provide service to, to, to the box. He, he does a good job with the ball, putting it where it needs to be. But it's those quick moments, I think, that he has when it's these very, very quick decision-making opportunities where he's trying to out-dribble a player, he's trying to pass into no space. Sometimes that that is where he ends up turning the ball over, but he's quick to recover. And I think consistently throughout the year, if you look at the number of games Jared Stroud was involved in, we won more than we lost, and he was one of our top goal-contributing players for the entire season. What do you think, Santi? Yeah, statistically, yeah, he, he's one of the... Um, contributors uh, on the team and and yeah he has great attributes uh but yeah matt when you mention uh like the air and passes and maybe and the 1v1 i think those are some of the things that people see and get upset about um he had a, a few games uh where uh he had a, a lot of bad passes and i think that's what people remember but as you said it uh yeah he's one of carnell's uh guys uh every every coach has a couple of players that are like his guys and uh yep. Stroud uh, is is one of those for for Cornell they have uh they have uh, been in different teams and uh, a lot of his development was when Cornell was in in Red Bulls um so I think we're gonna see him again next year despite uh what a lot of people want um but well now- on that note Santi so one of the things we didn't really talk about were some of the what we I tried to pick up on nuances from the press conference of who's talking in certain tenses, yeah. As far as what they're what they're saying about next year, what they're saying about this past year, and this is entirely um, conjecture. But I, I do want to add my perspective. Jared Stroud mentioned a bunch of times next year what he hopes to do next year, and I, I definitely think he's a player who's going to have his option picked up. I think we'll see Jared Stroud on this team next year if I had to make a bet. Um, I heard obviously things from Tim Parker, Indiana Vasilev, Nico Joachini, all those guys um, in without, again, nothing official, nothing confirmed, nothing even known. But I, I did notice that Sam and Deneron mentioned past tense a little more than some of the other players. He mentioned um, like having had success and didn't mention building on anything for the future necessarily. It could have just been the way questions were worded yeah. and it could be me reading too much into things. But, you know, from Jared Stroud, I would fully expect to see him. Uh, wearing a city kit next year. I would just want to say about Stroud that like if people pictured him like they pictured Blom, like Blom has one job and it's to shut down the counterattack. Mm-hmm. If you just see Stroud as like a six in the forward position as far as the <laughs> press, like I think people would very much appreciate the work that he does on a much higher level. And I know I like people that. don't think of wingers that way, but in our system, that's a hundred percent what his main job is. But Santiago, what are your three players? Well, it's difficult after seeing Matt's uh, list, and uh, then you have to exclude Berkey, Luven, and <laughs> Parker. Definitely, I had Blom on on my list uh, just because uh, all the the stuff he did, especially after he he got healthy and was able to string a few matches uh, playing with the team. Uh, Matt, I if I remember correctly, I think there was a stat uh, like through like the middle of the season that uh, I think the team only lost 
one game he started, but uh, I don't remember yeah. the specifics, but uh, but uh, it was like every time the Bull of Bloom starts, most of the time the, the team uh, has won. Uh, obviously, as the season went on, uh, um, there were some more losses, but but no, I, I really, uh, when he got healthy and started to to be in the starting lineup, uh, he just put together some great performances. He has struggled a little bit uh, during the summer with the heat, but uh, but I think he now with a, a season under his belt and maybe uh, being used to uh, the summer, I think he, he's going to be great next year. And um, for the other two, I, I, had, a, I had a hard time, like uh, especially because this team had so many players that... Uh, that got minutes and had an important game. So uh, I'm just going to go with 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 the way that the team handled things and gave opportunities uh, to different players. And you have people shining in different moments. Uh, so the, the team, the team as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, is my, let's say, number two and number three. As of August 31st, the number was blown by himself. We were 10-2-1 when he starts. There you go. And then you start pulling other players together, Blom, Parker, and Leuven. At that point, we were 7-0-1 when they started. So, yeah, Blom was uh, – I love hearing him on your list as well. Yeah, I think Klaus and Blom are like – I don't know if you could leave them off the top three uh, if you were to subtract the three you mentioned, Matt. Um, I – I'm between Hebert and Alm on this next one, uh, just because Hebert's usefulness and, oh man, I just like the, that he was able to change. But <laughs> Hebert's usefulness, I like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like <laughs> he never let us Versa- down. His versatility, you know I mean? his durability. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, what it, what he was asked to do is just like just keep him away from crazy. the right back position. That's all I ask. I mean, I'd give him another shot. I really would. Um, Just not against Hani Mukhtar. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Like, let's let's think about that. But I want to say all mainly just for talent reasons is, you know, if, if we don't have that third DP or a U-22 initiative, you need that, that goal dangerous attacker or like that person that stretches the field. I think... You know, I raved about his vision as the season went on. I, I repeated it probably too much. And um, I, I think he's a step above our other wingers as far as attacking um, talent. And I think and his usefulness in like a modern soccer system. And I th- his pressing is just as good as everyone else's. Maybe not as good as Stroud's, but like he's, he's up there. Right. And so um, I want to say Alm. And I think if he was healthy all season, it would have been good. I think even like the playoffs might have been different if Alm was healthy. I, I truly do believe that to some extent. Yeah, he. I mean, he was a difference. He was another one of those players that I could probably find whatever stat I had, but whenever he started, it was that kind of a difference maker. We were undefeated for a stretch of games with him, and it was. You hope that this off season for Alm is just it gives you that rest and recovery because that sports hernia, which they finally started calling it that at the end of the season, it just nagged him for mm-hmm. the the entire back half of the season and he is a difference maker and he would add so much versatility to what we can what we can run out with either him at the right attacking mid or as a second striker on the right side him him able to stretch the field like that is a difference maker and it would be such a key piece to have for the depth we need next year 
and I, I would even say in the uh, off season, buy a cheap right footed burner. Just like mm. his only job is to run fast. So if Alm goes mm. down, you can use him. Just like we have that, you know, Brazilian gold dangerous dribbler that no one can stop in Celio. These are just like, and he's cheap, you know, like they're just like these profiles of players that you need on your team. And if one of them goes down and you don't have that option in a, in a moment that you need it, um, I think, you know, that kind of player might have helped us in the stretch as well. Yeah, the July 27th stat that I had. As of July 27th this year, City was 11-4-2 when Alm is on the field, outscoring their opponents 36-16 to in those games. Oof. When Alm was absent at that time, we were 2-4-0 and had been outscored 9-2. Oh, um, wow. Massive difference. Yep. All right. Top, we're, we're running out of time, so let's uh, push through this one just a little bit. Top three moments of the year. Matt, you start us off. Yeah, I, I went back to the beginning. Um, when you talk moments, I think, you know, our, our breakdown of the blocks was pretty indicative where there were some blocks there in the middle. Where we're just like, let's skip over this. Like, they're <laughs> nothing memorable. Um, some of them are obvious, but I, I, went with the, I went with the first ever goal at Austin. That whole Austin game was just tremendous. But uh, to have Tim Parker score the set piece goal off the corner from Leuven mm. and then do the pregnant celebration with the baby yeah. and the ball. And that was incredible. Actually that I have a, I have a trading card of that. It was like the first ever soccer trading card I got. And it was of that moment. Oh my gosh. Just, oh, that's cool. Iconic. Yeah. Um, my second one is the Charlotte match. And I couldn't pick one moment of this game. I'm sorry. Couldn't pick whether it was the build up to the first home game, the, the, just the goal celebrations that occurred, the goals, the, the win, the first ever win on the first ever home game, beating Charlotte in general meant a pretty decent amount to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was one of those things where it's like you, you talk back and forth to fans and you don't have anything to hang your hat on yet because we hadn't started. So much of the past year before that was Charlotte bagging on City for talking anything about yeah. Charlotte, whether it's the turf, the PSLs, the the head coach saying, uh, I forget the quote, but it was really bad um, <laughs> about their team. Like we effing suck or something like that. Yeah, we, that, we, we are effed. We are. Yes, yes. That's what yes thank you. Love it. <laughs> so have the, the win at Charlotte, first home win, that that was magical. And then I added the Miguel Perez goal against Vancouver. That first, the first appearance that he made was in, incredible. But like I said, because the the noise, the week of like the graduating high school, like we said on Thursday, and then scoring a goal in MLS on Saturday was incredible. And and that's something that is not just fun for us as fans to experience and see for him, but he for for long stretches of this season. And I know he kind of uh, disappeared because he went back to with city two and he was injured at the end of the year and developing and all that stuff. But if you guys remember this summer, it was kids were looking up to Miguel Perez. He was the poster boy and yeah. still is the poster boy for a, a, a kid growing up in St. Louis around St. Louis being identified in cornfields in uh, you know, <laughs> Boonville, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Boonville, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being given a chance and rising through the academy. I mean, he is the quintessential now St. Louis City Academy story. And so, see that first goal so soon in part of that run of games where we're bouncing back and figuring out how to win without Klaus. It was perfect. It was exactly what we needed at that time. And that was a top moment for me. 
Santi, you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, uh, Matt uh, picked some great ones. So um, I'm gonna go with some different ones. Um, that That's five so win game again, five goal win against Cincinnati. That was a, a great moment. Uh, just because uh, the team was uh, coming from two losses, Cincinnati on top of the table, they were undefeated, and just all the things. Uh, around that game that Saturday, uh, like all the rain and uh, people um, like this, the, the doors open and some people came in and then they basically closed the doors and told people to go somewhere else, uh, seek a shelter. And then uh, just the starting so late and uh, it was a really electric atmosphere. The team scored like really early, like a, a third minute uh, first goal and then uh, it was just uh, a party uh, from there so that's one of my favorite ones hey Santi uh, yeah who scored that first goal three minutes into the Cincinnati game Stroud there you go <laughs> <laughs> hey that, that was a good question <laughs> had to <laughs> all right uh, so that was that that was my number one uh, from my list uh, then uh this is not a specific moment, but uh, I really enjoyed um, like seeing the the tifos being mm-hmm. unveiled, uh, the different yeah. tifos uh, the supporters had, and uh, had a chance to uh, help with some of them with painting or with doing different things around them. So um, I really enjoyed that, and uh, it was great to see uh, how all the supporters get together for that. So I really. Uh, enjoyed uh, that experience and then seeing the final product and how proud uh, everybody was. That was great. And my number three is just seeing uh, our MLS Next Pro players from last year having success yeah. with the team, getting significant minutes, uh, some of them scoring goals. Uh, it, it's just like one of those things you feel like, uh, oh, I saw these guys last year playing with City 2, kind of the begin one of the, yeah, obviously there was the academy, but then uh, at the professional level, you had City 2 and you had these guys and then you see them like going to the next level and you see them succeeding. So to me, that was that was great to see what it has been great to like to follow the footsteps of these players. Man, that's such a good shout. I, it, I remember the slew SIUE days seeing, I mean, seeing before even Berkey and crew came in, and thinking who's going to get a shot yeah. besides Josh Yarrow, who's already on a contract, like who's going to get the offer, who's going to prove themselves. And the moments of seeing Salio out on the wing, seeing Akil score bangers from outside the 18 yard box as a defensive midfielder, and then getting their shot this year, Salio scoring, Akil assisting and seeing significant minutes as starters. I love that shout. Yeah, really well done there, Santiago. And, uh, you know, I bought that um, We're Not in Kansas Anymore shirt. This is my favorite one this year. Well done uh, on all of them, but that was my favorite. I wanted to wear it. Uh, it feels a little weird to wear, actually. <laughs> we'll see if I get over that or not. But um, I just want to add one moment. Um, you guys were awesome with, with your shouts. Um, for me, I said this on KTRS when it was asked. It's um, that first real Charlotte goal, not the PK, not the own goal, mm-hmm. but the first real one. I think it was Klaus, right? Where like Klaus like throws his hands out and you can tell how happy he is. And then he says after like, it feels like home, you know, like I have yeah. 
my club again or for the first time in his life even. Yeah. So that felt so good because I think that's something um, that we as fans want from our, our players. And, and I think it was um, uh, Soccer Vixen is a St. Louis account, right? Like mm-hmm. she's had some really fun stuff lately. And my favorite one I think she's ever posted was four different players said something about St. Louis being home or Nico buying that house or Lou, you know, like everyone had some four different players had something to say about loving St. Louis. And I I just love that. And that moment, it was so loud. We were happy for Klaus. We were happy to get the goal. And and it was the go ahead goal, if I'm not mistaken. And um, what a great moment. It was so loud. Um, First, you know, first real goal at home. It was in my mind, you know, I know they all counted, but that was the first real goal for me. And so, and it really did. It, It played out in a way that it's like, yeah, this is repeatable. And it was right. It was, and will be next year as well. So that was my last one. Um, First transfer window. This is a fun one. We're going to want to talk about this forever because I, I bet we could probably talk about most of this bread and butter. Yeah. We could probably slide this in with our roster talk next week, but yeah, uh, there, there was, there was some talks about, you know, Mark Hanick and uh, well, Thorson especially because Mark Hanick, it was pretty apparent. He took, he took his opportunity uh, as soon as he got in to find himself in the starting 11. But this is specifically related to what Lutz was saying when I asked him about how he viewed the transfer window this past summer and how does it inform what he does going forward. And he reiterated a lot about every move is strategic long-term. There was a moment in the press conference too, where he, he also referred back to a five-year plan. Santi, I don't know if you caught that one, but early on and it, it's almost like I, I I couldn't tell if it was five years from when he was signed five years from our first year, hard to tell on that. But in the sense of he has a five-year plan, a long-term plan to build and set this roster up for success long-term, Markanik and Thorson were brought in for next year. Like, that's the takeaway for this. And he, re- he re- reiterated that where they're not short-term fixes, and I don't think he, we ever expected them to be short-term fixes this year. But he did say that Markanik, uh, he didn't say surprised, but he was essentially like he was brought in as a backup. Like, we brought yeah. him in for that depth that he didn't like to talk about. But he said <laughs> Markanik surprised him, and he took – took the opportunity and suddenly he's starting and he, he won those internal competitions. Thorson started. Yeah. He scored a goal, but the lack of what we saw from Nukvi Thorson this year can't be read into too much because Lutz was very specific that this was a guy they brought in who needed a preseason. He needed this year, what Berkey Klaus Leuven, et cetera, had for city two last year. And if you remember city two last year, they only played a handful at most games. Yeah. yeah. They didn't, they didn't come in to, to get going and help city Two go towards the Western conference title. No. And that's same similar to what I view as Nuki Thorson this year. And I don't know if that's going to be a hallmark of Lutz's summer transfer windows, but don't read the lack of Thorson in the back half of the season as mm-hmm. he fell out of favor or he's a bust. I would look for him next year very much to be an impact player. I see, Yeah, I, I agree with you. I still see him as a long-term uh, signing, but uh, and there is actually a question uh, about him here uh, from from Chris, uh, and um, he he was asking about Torison uh, why he wasn't getting minutes late in the season. So at least my personal view, even though he was labeled as a long term project, he had success early, and I think the team said, okay, maybe maybe he can help us this season, and. Uh, the 
the the player that uh, basically stopped getting minutes uh, because they wanted to take a look at Nuke Vitorison was Celio. He ended up uh, mm. not being in the lineup a few times. Then he went to City 2. Yeah. And then uh, you could see like that switch. When Celio started to get minutes again was when Torreson started to stop getting minutes. Um, so I think, yeah, like, like yeah, it, it was worth taking a look at Torreson and see if he could, he could help this season. Uh, but then I think they realized, okay, maybe he needs more time and uh, let's just stick to the plan. He's... Uh, He's a project for for next season and the years to come, and and then uh, they went back to Celio, and and Celio uh, had uh, some good performances. Uh, so it will be great to see the competition between those two uh, next year. Thorson for me is someone that could get rise to the level of Alm. Uh, I I think he's got that level of talent. He's a good presser, and he has a lot to offer in goal scoring ability. Not dribbly per se he's mm-hmm. not uh, a speedster uh, but he is athletic and he can he's got a, a good engine and he's just capable of scoring from a lot of different places on the pitch no matter where he is if soon you get him the ball in the box or near the box he has a good chance of, of converting it and so that's my favorite thing about him and I think that's going to be uh, vital going forward if, if we lose any wingers and we don't add too many, I think that means Thorson is going to get lots and lots of time. Um, and I look forward to that. Markanik, um, you know, I think we all thought, I don't know, if if, if we learn one thing about Markanik, I think it's that uh, the Rapids did a terrible job using yes. him. Because <laughs> even we didn't, like, scout him to the level of someone like uh, John Nelson, right? Like, we thought John Nelson could be, um, better than any other option we could pick up in MLS. And turns out, I think Markanik very easily played him, uh, outplayed him when, once he got his chance. Um, all things aren't even there, and, and that may end up being wrong in the long run. We don't know what the future holds for, for John Nelson, but uh, Markanik did really well. I think he looked great, and I think the Rapids very badly misused him and probably should have been using him um, in a lot of ways and probably in different ways by the way that uh things were talked about with, with matt when he came on the show about the rapids yeah and and uh real quick before we go some of the other moments they're called out chris gebhardt in the chat Thank the first you. time they turned off the lights and did the red out it's a good one. that was that was something that was awesome to see for the first time but the progression of that and then the little extra light show they added during the playoffs those were some amazing moments oh, they, yeah. those created those are kind of like the the memories that you think of and they're like those core memories of your experience or you want to get there the club doesn't need to tell you to get there beforehand you just know to get there because you're going to be you want to be a part of that you want to be a part of the drum beat the stl the the lights out everything that everything that that muse music can really offer uprising has become a theme of st louis city because of that and then Billy says uh, he would add the stretch of goals in 12 minutes versus Kansas. <laughs> but I do think it was, I had to look that up because it's actually four goals four, in, yeah. in 12 minutes in that September 30th wow. game. Adeneron at 73, Stroud 75, Klaus at 80, and again at 85. That against SKC, you know, third match of the year, winning the regular season uh, series against them. You know, the end, the end, the playoffs didn't go how we wanted it to, but <laughs> that is something that we will never forget is that home match and, and, Amazing moments all around. Yep. And, and the red out thing. And, the, you know, Santiago was, was smart enough to mention the TIFOs. When, when we did the like the fan reaction at that last playoff event, 
almost everyone was talking about the TIFOs oh, yeah. or the stadium experience. And, it, you know, again, it just speaks to how lucky we are to have the Luligans, to have Santos, to have Ponks, yeah. uh, Fleur de Noise, and, you know, again, the creative department that is inside of the, the St. Louis staff and how smart they all were to integrate together and to put value in that experience. It's very, very clear that that was important to them and that mm-hmm. they, they thought it was um, a vital part of of giving people good memories turns out they were right like this is proof so yeah and guys uh just talking about the tifos very quick uh the players really appreciate that yeah i had a, i had a chance to uh ask uh indy and uh nelson about it and they say yeah we we like i asked like i know you guys are like have a game but do you take a few seconds to appreciate the tifo and like, yeah 100 percent, and we love it and uh it, is, it was great to to hear that from them and uh, even Nilsson. Uh, I was planning to ask him, but he brought it up. He 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 even wasn't sure how uh, what it was called here. He was like, "Oh, in Europe we call it tifos." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the same here." Nice. But uh, but yeah, he just said, "Yeah, it's just uh, very appreciative of, of the 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 creativity the creativity the fans have and." Uh, uh, both of them said, "Yeah, we we take a few seconds to, to appreciate it, and it is great to uh, to see uh, what the fans put together for us." Agree. On the fan note, uh, we we talked about it at the end of the regular season, but I wanted to reiterate another moment that I think not a lot of people got to appreciate because uh, it came after a loss against Seattle, and uh, it just the people didn't stick around, I think, to really see, and it didn't get the notoriety in the stadium. The supporters, the leaders of the supporter groups gave bricks to oh, yeah. at the end of the season and they called it bricks giving. And it was giving uh, plaque named plaques on the bricks to each player and staff member saying, uh, you know, you're you're basically a part of us. You're part of St. Louis. And it referenced uh, the 1849 devastating fires destroying large parts of the city and the red bricks that, that were risen from those ashes type of a thing from the homes of neighborhoods in the old North Bend Park to breweries, everything. And so calling every one of the players, every one of the staff saying you're now a part of the fabric that's, that is St. Louis as we know today. And that was the brick symbolizing the deep appreciation for this inaugural season and how far they've come and what they can build for the future. Those moments, I think that puts a cap on everything that we've talked about this entire show, everything that all the memories we look back on that we're going to carry with us for our lifetimes and, and what these players this first ever inaugural team means to us as fans, to the city and to each other, because there, there will never come again a first ever St. Louis MLS roster. And this was it. These were our guys. These, these were our ride or dies and they gave us record breaking moments. They gave us 17 wins. They gave us a first place in the conference regular season. Then they gave us more memories than we ever could have hoped for, for the first season. So I, I know I'm I'm so appreciative of what the players and the staff built, created, and sustained throughout this year. They made it fun every single week to do this show, and it's it's one of those things that you you hope is a certain way, but you never really expect it to be what they ended up delivering. Well said, absolutely. Um, this is the 82nd episode of the season, guys. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I think we started. Um, in the preseason, once preseason started, that's when I started considering this season two of, of kind of the modern era of flyover footy. <laughs> the first season was basically everything before this, right? Like 2019, 2021. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that's like, I think of it as like the MLS 
or city two rather kind of like yeah. the city two season and, and yeah, I guess the start of MLS in general. Yeah. In St. Louis. Uh, yeah. Um, so anything, you know, since preseason of this season, um, 82 episodes and, um, you know, I, I love Santiago. I love Stuart and I, I'm, I feel like so lucky to do this, but you know, special shout to, to Matt Baker. This man clearly puts in the most time, does all the research is so solid. Once once he reports something, you pretty much know it's going to be true, or he's got a good argument for whatever opinion he posts, and um, he sets a standard for quality. Um, and he's the only reason we got eighty two episodes in. I can tell you that for damn sure. Um, so Matt, dude, you're a fucking beast. Thanks for <laughs> for joining Flyover and making it what it is. I mean, it's all you, bud. So thank you so much uh, for that, man. You deserve a lot more than a commendation at the end of an episode and hopefully we'll get you a little more than that. But, uh, thanks dude. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I agree. Thanks Matt for, for everything. You, you make it so easy for us and, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. There's nothing I'd rather do more with, uh, and there's nobody I'd rather do it more than with you guys. You make it fun to do and this team makes it fun and it's easy to do something you're passionate about and right. I have enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. And thanks to you guys for listening. That's it from us today. A few more weeks. I mean, it's not long. 52 days until the transfer. <laughs> Who's counting? Oh, my goodness. It's hey, funny. We talk days, about taking time off when we just drop down to one episode a week. Wild. Yeah. A, year ago, a year or two ago, could you imagine that? No, absolutely I, not. I'd be like, every other week sounds pretty good. <laughs> I, I know. So looking ahead to this offseason, though, we've, we've talked. And next week, we're going to do some kind of a roster review. So looking at... The contracts, the salaries, the off-season calendar for MLS, what we can look forward to. You know, obviously we'll take some time off for Thanksgiving and the holidays and things like that. But whenever we can, whatever we need to, to have some content to get everybody ready for the off-season and up to date on what's going on, we're going to do. So we're still sticking around, even if we don't have game recaps for another couple of months. All right. We're giving you that Midwest goodbye treatment tonight. Uh, so thanks for sticking with us if you're still here. Flyover footy. We'll be talking to you throughout the the off season, and it won't be long before we're talking about real soccer in St. Louis again. Bye, everybody. Have a good night.